Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by Greg Lance Watkins. The United Kingdom has recorded more than 1,000 new COVID cases for six days in a row and the Republic of Ireland has tightened restrictions following a flare-up. But what are we to make of it all? Do stay with us. Greg, we've seen some disturbing figures in terms of the number of daily COVID cases there are in the UK, in that for the last six days in a row, there have been more than 1,000 new diagnosed cases per day. And if you look at that in in historical terms, we're now back at the levels we saw in early June. Uh, it, it 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 had been in decline for some months before then, week by week. And it went in decline after that as well. But now it's curving back up again and consistently so. And my first questions are, there's a few aspects to this really. How many of these people are actually ill? The death numbers are also very low. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a tragedy for every single family who's been affected by this. And my condolences to them. But the actual death numbers are very low. And how many of these people who have the virus are a risk, not so much to themselves, but as they bump into, uh, and I use that term metaphorically as well as literally, bump into vulnerable members of society when they're out and about as carriers. So what do you make of these figures that we've seen over the last six days? An escalation in bullshit. Let's put it in some perspective. We had 1,040 cases in the last 24 hours recorded, um, and we had five deaths. Hmm. India... On the other hand, not 1,040, but 58,000 cases. USA, 29,000 cases. New cases. I find these figures are really how to lie with statistics, aren't they? Are Um, they a consequence of increased testing, do you think, in certain areas? I think they're a consequence of increased testing... Um, I think they're a consequence of giving any job to scientists um, who would appear uh, to be all too willing to produce whatever results are wanted uh, by their paymasters in return for grants. Um, We have 961 deaths in India, 363 in America, 635 in Mexico, and five in Britain. So with that in in mind, do you think the virus is increasing again in Britain now in light of what's gone on in recent weeks, or do you think we can just discard these figures and the virus is operating at roughly the same level it has been for many weeks now? I don't think the virus does anything other than fluctuate dependent on how you count it. Um, I think that it is very well worthwhile remembering that we record on a global basis uh, 21,754,000 people have the disease, um, have had, should I say, uh, with a death rate of 771,000. The Spanish flu was 500 million people. That's 25 times as many people died between uh, 1917 and 1919. Yeah, but let's look at this in the context of where we are at this moment in time, because obviously we saw in the early months of this year, January, February, March into April, 
the big flare up and, and we saw in Italy the hospitals were overwhelmed and in parts of Europe were very badly affected and in this country as well okay the hospitals weren't overwhelmed and the contingency measures that were put in place did appear to work but in terms of where we go now going forward I think society is now divided British society is now divided between two groups those who are following the rules that are in place and those who couldn't give a monkeys and are just doing their own thing and think the whole thing is, is over and done with and we can just get on with our lives normally. As we go into the autumn now, and let, let's say there is some credibility in the figures we've seen in recent days of over a thousand cases per day. What advice should the government be giving to people UK wide as to how they behave at the moment? Because it does seem as though everything's a bit of a mishmash, doesn't it? I think whoever is or was the government during this period would have taken a beating, whatever they did, mm. because they're basing it on uh, supposed science. <laughs> Since when was science guesswork? Well, no, science is a, is a series of theories and hypotheses. That, yeah. And it's, it's an ongoing discussion and various theories get disproven and we move on from them. Others have a degree of cre credibility and over time they become almost certain proof. But even then, these things can be over, overrode. I mean, take something very simple, like in the 1970s, when if you had been a blood donor, you would be given iron tablets as you left. You would be sternly told to take them, saying it was very important. Nowadays, that is considered completely unnecessary. And as a young child, if you were around in the 1970s and you were a child, I wasn't born until 1983, but people who were around in the 70s, if they went into a shoe shop on a Saturday morning, um, they could have their, their feet x-rayed for a bit of a laugh. Nowadays, uh, we're told that x-rays should be kept to the bare minimum, and my dentist rushes to the door every time he gives me an x-ray. Similarly, in the 1970s, burns victims were treated with greasy creams. That is now considered one of the worst things you can do. So what I'm saying is that certainly even over your lifetime, one scientific theory has been replaced by another as evidence has been gathered and advice changes accordingly. And this is the same thing now. This is a very, very new virus. We are learning new things about it all the time. There are certain things that, that I've read up that I think are likely but that doesn't mean that, the, the, that as, as the evidence changes, we should change our minds as well. I would say a few things. I would say that, first of all, I, it does seem as though the virus was more potent a few months ago than it is now. That's not to say it won't become potent again in a few months' time. The second thing I would say is that it does seem likely that very young children are very, very rarely badly affected by this. And also, until they get to about the age of nine or ten, are not really that much of a risk to older people who may be their carers or picking them up from school. That then changes as they get a little older. But again, th this is the balance of probability. It's not absolute fact is what I'm getting at. Well, the story on children, it definitely isn't fact. There have been quite a number of deaths amongst children. But were they healthy not, children not already? Not many in this country. Hmm. Uh, but America has had quite a notable number. But I think that we talked in very false terms for many months about spikes and second spikes. I think that it is far more like a series of fairly mild waves. And sometimes they're a bit higher than others. And sometimes they're a bit lower. 
and I think this is likely to continue. I have little or no faith uh, in the rapid production of vaccination for it. Um, and I do think that one of the great problems of this disease or anything happening nowadays is the political capital that is gained by giving away huge amounts of public money to people to produce new theories. Yeah, but we can see that in many other, other spheres as well. We've seen that with oh, the yes, of, I agree. climate change over many years, for it's example. It's a disease of our time. Yeah, and we've seen how scientists who've come up with inconvenient conclusions on man-made climate change have had their funding cut. However, what I would say, based on what you've said there, a little note of caution. I know you're not dismissing the potential danger of the virus, far from it. But I would say just look at it anecdotally. Take data away for them and look at it anecdotally. Boris Johnson, a man in his 50s, was very ill for a period of getting the virus, point one. Point two, Derek Draper, the former advisor to Peter Mandelson, perhaps best known these days as the husband of TV presenter Kate Garraway, is still very ill with the virus. And point three on that is that the well-known Charlton Athletic fan, uh, Seb Lewis, who hadn't missed a game for something like 22 years, yes, he was asthmatic, but he died at the age of just 38 from the virus. So... What I would say is it's clear that it's not just badly affecting those. It's not just a case of we're losing the elderly a few months before their time. If you look at the stats from the average, if you look at a graph of the average number of people who died in uh, February, March, April time in this country compared to a normal February, March, April over the course of the last five, 10 years, it was significantly higher this year. And that does suggest that this virus was a factor. However, we do need a sense of proportion. And which is why I am concerned about these numbers going up and up, because well, I take an example in Melbourne, Australia, um, they eased up a little bit before us, I think. And, and they, there was a rugby league match in the city of Melbourne and people was, had to sit on sort of concrete benches uh, on, a, on a grass bank with concrete benches. They were told to socially distance. They very clearly did not. And about three weeks after that, there was a big flare up in the city of Melbourne. Now, we've got a situation in this country where, for example, uh, in England, pubs were allowed to open uh, in a limited form from early July. In Wales, a little bit later, a uh, week or two later. But what we're seeing now is that people, when they're told to, that they're spending an evening in a pub, they're told, oh, you, you must stick with your, your extended bubble, so to speak. And, um, you, you know, there, there's parts of the pub that are sectioned off and there's supposed to be a metre and a half of distance between tables. You stay at your table. And what happens is on a typical Saturday night uh, in any town or city centre is that to begin with, people, they turn up, they obey the rules. There were even instances I know of that people who were singing along to music on their tables were told to stop singing because, you know, you sing in loudly, it, it spreads the virus, speak softly and speak quietly with those at the table around you is the instruction. But the problem comes at chucking out time. At gone midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, whatever, uh, people are under the influence of alcohol, they lose their inhibitions. Social distancing outside in the street is lost. People are hugging and kissing, congregating closely together. In the worst instances, they're fighting. So what I'm saying now, Greg, is that using the example of Melbourne, where I don't know to what extent alcohol played its part in what happened in that rugby league match, I expect not particularly big part, or what's happening in this country, and we're seeing that as people are congregating more closely in social settings, 
it is causing a rise in figures. And I am concerned that those two things are linked. Firstly, I'd like you to take you right back to the beginning of that stanza. One thing that people are not paying attention to is that COVID-19 would appear with some people to be doing massive long-term organ damage, even if it's not killing them. Mm. Yes. This is something that hasn't had the attention that it should have. I can't give you explicit details on it. I'm not medically qualified ad adequately, but I am aware that it is particularly attacking uh, consequential major body organs mm. and doing long-term damage. Mm. These people who have this damage, I don't know. The first time they get an attack of hiccups in two years' time, it may kill them. Mm. And, and I am obviously using the word hiccups flippantly, um, whether that is a mild cold that becomes fatal or some other minor item. The second point that you based that on, and you mentioned it twice, was Melbourne. Can we put Australia into some sort of context? Australia has had 396 people die in total. I don't think we can get excited about that. Yeah, it's sad for 396 families and friends. Hmm. But amongst those 396 will be some who were massively exposed by way of their occupation. Mm. There will be a fairly high percentage, I would guesstimate, amongst the elderly who were within months of dying of something else. They've had 23,000 people contract the disease. Mm. They have a population one-third the size of Britain, roughly. The next one that is perpetually being quoted at us is New Zealand. I couldn't give a damn what New Zealand's figures are. I'm not saying that harshly. I'm saying it to put it in perspective. New Zealand is two very large islands on the far side of the planet in a different weather pattern yeah. in terms of density of population yeah and, and the thing to remember about new zealand is it's so it's, it's say two very beautiful islands with two main population centers there and nowhere near anywhere else but yes the virus has come back to new zealand but you, you, yeah, you've got, got a, five million people which is half that of london yeah yeah so as, you're right the center's perspective is needed now the time is against us i'm afraid so i want to talk in the remaining time about um, the, the inconsistencies in our approach based on devolution. And I wonder how many people listening to this in the United Kingdom in particular actually know what the rules are. Now, I've got a poster in front of me that ex explains the different rules. Here we go. How many people are you allowed to meet outdoors? In England, six people from multiple households or up to 30 people from two households. In Scotland, up to 15 people from up to five households, two metres apart. In Wales, any number from two households. In Northern Ireland, up to 30 outdoors only. At what distance? In England, one metre plus. And there's extended guidelines on that. 
In Scotland, two metres apart, but less in some premises. In Wales, two metres apart, but less in some premises. Northern Ireland, one metre apart. Indoors, in England, two households. In Scotland, eight people from three households. In Wales, two households can form one extended household. In Northern Ireland, 10 people from four households. Now, if this had struck 25 years ago, in the days before devolution, there would have been a very good case for saying, in every ad break on television and on big billboards near busy junctions on roads, and the internet wasn't anything like as developed as it is today, obviously, but on things like before you watch your YouTube video, when you have to watch your advert, and on Spotify and so forth, have a 30-second um, public information film explaining what the rules are, because what people need at the moment is clarity and simplicity. And I'll tell you what I think has happened, Greg. I think a lot of people, because the rules are so muddled, depending on where you live, they have decided to follow their own rules. As, as I said earlier in the podcast, there are those that seem to think the risk is over and they can pretty much do what they're like. And, and there are those that are doing their best to follow the rules. But a lot of people, because of all this complexity, don't know what the rules are. People need clarity and simplicity. And, you know, a simple advert. How many people outdoors you may meet? I don't know whether we go down the Welsh route, any number from two households or a maximum of six from multiple households. At what distance? Well, one metre plus and two metres apart less in some premises. So one metre one meter plus in England, two metres less in some premises in Scotland and Wales. That realistically means the same thing. It's just worded in a different way for the sake of being different. Who no, can you allow... Making a muddle of it. Yeah, or indoors, two households or eight people from three households in Scotland or two households can form one extended household. Give a simple UK-wide rule you can invite two households. In other words, that may be your neighbour or one other household where your cousin lives or whatever. You can come to theirs, they can go to yours. People need clarity and simplicity. And I think the fact we're not getting that as a consequence of devolution is leading to confusion at best and at absolute worst, people thinking these rules are so silly, I might as well just ignore the whole thing and do whatever I like. I don't think you'd ever be able to analyse it um accurately but then again i don't think they've got any of the figures right accurately at the moment i would speculate that an, a fairly notable percentage of those who have died in britain and those who have caught this virus have done so as a result of the confusion brought about by a collection of completely inadequate politicians trying to look important in their various devolved regions. We have an entirely different policy and approach to it coming from the Welsh region. London is a region in itself. Scotland, yet another region where we have a wannabe leader trying to look important. And I have paid attention to the whole of this outbreak from right at the beginning. And I think I've paid quite marked attention. I haven't got a clue what the rules are. I have yeah. to look them up. Yeah. Well, I think time is against us, so we're going to have to stop at this point. But I would say to people, 
do familiarize yourself with the rules and when you do let close family or very close friends whoever you choose to be part of your extended household into your home do keep a safe social distance and do behave responsibly when you're out and about may i add one quick point there nobody is going to know the rules therefore act with common sense keep your distance de deal close closer with people who you know how insensible or stupid they've been and meet with as many people as you need to keeping the numbers to need to as opposed to would like to and do so carefully good luck everyone my thanks as always to greg my thanks to you for listening join us again next time 